You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Now, okay, I have literally zero time to waste, so get your Bible out, y'all. Get your journal, and we're going to continue in a series that we started two weeks ago. And I just want to encourage you tonight to do something. Somebody say something. I want you to do something other than just sit in your chair and listen to me talk. Here's why. It's because I believe that your outward posture is going to determine your inward posture. And here's what I mean by that. You guys remember the story of Moses in the burning bush? There's a a little detail in there where God asks Moses to do something. Does anybody know what he did? Sandals off. That's right. He asked Moses to take his sandals off because this was holy ground. And I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like God did that for a reason because he wanted Moses to make an outward posture so his heart would follow follow and treat that space and that moment and that encounter as holy. And so I believe that you guys, you doing something during this message is actually going to like your heart's going to follow that. Like this is why during worship, no matter how I feel, y'all know sometimes you don't feel like worshiping, right? Anybody ever been there? You don't want real, don't really feel like raising your hands. This is exactly why, no matter what, I raise my hands and worship because I know that my heart will follow what my posture is. And so, no matter what, whenever I'm worshiping, if I lift my hands, even if I don't feel like it, I'm telling you, my heart connects with the Lord because your heart follows your posture. In the same way, man, every single message that I hear, I take notes and I read the Bible and study it for a living. So, like, Sometimes I hear messages that I know where they're going and I still take notes. And here's why. That posture says to God, I still think you have something for me tonight. Amen. So do something. Do something. Let your neighbor say, do something. something. All right, tonight we're going to be diving into week three of an expository. That's a fun word. Expository series that we're in called Romans. And I addressed this in week one. And I just want to remind everybody, set our expectations straight, that this is a series that we could easily spend an entire year on. Like, we could do a 52-week series on Romans easily. And so I want you to know, with a four-week series in Romans, which is one of the most dense books theologically, I'm telling you, we are barely scratching the surface of what Romans has to offer you. Like, we are barely making a dent in the content of this book. So maybe you're thinking like, why in the world, Pastor Jackson, would you have us do a series that should be 52 weeks long and we're only doing it in in four weeks? Like, how are we gonna get all the answers we need? Well, I'm a firm believer that as your pastor, it's actually not my job to just give you all of the answers. Like, that's not my job. And if I'm doing all of the work for you, if if I'm the only one, any of the pastors here are the only ones feeding you spiritually, then we are not doing our job right. We're not training you up well. Like pastors, pastors are compared to things or people in the Bible called shepherds. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a shepherd. This would be a cool picture. I thought about this the other day. I was like, that'd be kind of cool. But I've never seen a shepherd on an ATV with a trailer hitched to the back and all of his sheep just riding along with him, right? That's because like sheep have to do a little bit of work, right? They have to follow. They have to walk. And like the shepherd will lead sheep to to still waters. But does the shepherd drink the water for the sheep? No, no, no. You have to do that yourself. And so 
the reason why I don't want to give you all of the answers, even in tonight's message, I'm not going to give you all of the answers. It's because what I want to do tonight is I just want to like lead us all to a, a well, a deep well of living water that is Romans in hopes that you will do some digging yourself. Amen? Amen. So I just, want to, I just want to get you guys a little bit of hunger and thirst for this book, this book of Romans. So to quickly recap, in week one, I know it was a long time away, but in week one, we kicked off the series looking at uh, three different important aspects of the gospel. And if you were taking notes, maybe you remember them. They were this. God pursues, do you remember that? God pursues who? Fallen, sinful, broken people. Why? So he can redeem their life through grace. And in order to look at that, we looked at the author, Paul. We looked at his conversion story and how his life was drastically changed by an encounter he had with Jesus. Then last week, my boy, Pastor Kent, brought a word on on grace, that churchy word called grace. And we looked at three aspects of grace, three ways that you can encounter the grace of God. You can either abuse the grace of God. Hello. You can be looking for the grace of God. You can find it, and then you can adore it. And it was such a good message. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. And by the way, last week, I just want to shout you guys out. We had an amazing response time last week. Amazing altar ministry. So many of you guys came down for prayer. And that's something I really love about you, New Song students. It's that you aren't just like hearers of the word. Like, you do. You move. And I just want to encourage you, keep that up. That's a good thing we've got going here. Amen. So, okay. I thought this was kind of funny. Um, Typically... When I plan out a series, I like things to make sense. Is anybody thankful when things make sense? So, like, when I plan a series and invite people to talk in series and stuff like that, I like the series to build week by week. Each week builds on what we talked about last week. It's all this beautiful progression that leads to, like, the pinnacle last message in a series. That's how I like to do things. And if you've been here long enough, maybe you've noticed that pattern. And I was thinking about this series, and... I wish that this is what this series felt like. Now, I made a meme, because I like a good meme, y'all. So I made a meme about how I wish Romans was, this series. This is how I wish it was. It's like week, two, week one, week one, you're like, okay, this is pretty cool. Week two, you're like, okay, I'm starting to get this. Week three, the, the, the light bulb is starting to happen, and then Romans week four, you're just like enlightened, like fully enlightened. I wish... I so wish that this was how this series was going to go, but unfortunately, uh, this is how this series is going to go for you tonight. It's going to look like this a little bit. (sighs) This was me in my office yesterday. Uh, It's going to look like this, just like, oh, what? And then finally, you might leave tonight looking like this. (laughs) (laughs) What? I, I wish that this was going to be a super easy topic tonight, but the, the, the three chapters that we're going to be focusing on in Romans tonight are chapters 9, 10, and 11. And chapters 9 through 11 are some of the most confusing, some of the deepest, some of the most controversial chapters in Romans, maybe even in the Bible. And so what I want to do tonight is really simple. I want to look at three themes, three ma- macro messages. Macro means big. For all my dudes who, who you know, do macros, like you check your macros, it's because you're trying to get big, right? So I want to find three macro messages, and then I want to close with three micro, which means it's for you, like individual messages that I think these three chapters tell us. And so in order to do this, we're going to start in Romans chapter 9, verse 9. If you've got a Bible, go there. I'm going to read this passage. We'll pray, 
and then we'll, we'll dive into this topic. Here's what it says. And just, just heads up, this verse, we're just going straight in, like straight into the deep end tonight. Here's what it says. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have, shall have a son. So this is talking about Abraham and Sarah, the first people in God's covenant family. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election, there's an interesting word right there that kind of scares people sometimes, election, God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, so God is about to tell Rebecca something. This is what he tells her. The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What? This is God talking to Rebecca. He just said, I love Jacob and I hated Esau before they were ever born and ever did anything. What? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Okay, told you, we're going into the deep end tonight. Now, the title of my message, we've been doing, the both weeks have had a, an un at the start of the message, so I had to keep the trend going. We had unlikely convert. Last week, Pastor Kent talked about undeserved grace. So the title of my message tonight is this. Unfair? Question mark. <laughs> unfair? This is what I want to address tonight. Is God unfair? Because sometimes when we read passages like this, this is where a lot of people find themselves believing, that God is an unfair God. And so I want to address this head on tonight. Are you cool with that? Yeah. All right. Before we do, though, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I just thank you so much for this space. God, I thank you that we get to meet here and that we get to worship you and encounter you week after week. And I thank you, God. I look around this room and I see so many students, whether they've been here a long time or a short period of time, I see a bunch of people being transformed into the image of Jesus. And God, tonight, we just want more of that. Would you speak to every single heart? I pray that if there's any heart that this topic brings up nervousness or confusion, or maybe this is just a new topic for somebody in the room. God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would co communicate through me tonight this word clearly to every single heart and reveal your good and perfect heart to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, New Song students, I got a question for you. Have you ever been treated unfairly before? Raise your hands, show me. You ever been treated unfairly? Maybe, um, maybe you had a teacher that just like did not like you and you gave them no reason to not like you. Have you ever been there before? This is my wife, Haley, except she would say that she gave them no reason, but she definitely talked too much in class. She was like, I just don't know why they don't like me. It's like, they t you, talk, you talk a lot, girlfriend. Maybe, maybe uh, you've felt like you were treated poorly or unfair because like you're on a team and you feel like in practice, like you are giving the most effort while all of your teammates are just goofing off but they're the ones getting the recognition. They're the ones that are starting in a game and you're on the bench and you feel like you've been treated unfairly. We've all been there before, right? Yeah. I've been there before. There was a time in my life where I felt like I was treated unfairly. Um, it was before I moved here to OKC to be a part of this amazing church. Before this, I was living in Dallas. I was going to uh, one of the biggest churches in the country called Gateway Church. I'd been going there for years and I was attending Bible college. And at this point, 
in my life, um, there was a lot of things that were uncertain. I didn't know where God was leading me, like as far as like a career went. Um, I didn't really know where I was going to live in the future, what exactly I wanted to do. But there was one thing that I knew was certain, and that's that I was going to marry Haley. Somebody say, aw. I knew I was going to marry Haley, and I knew, I didn't know what ministry was going to look like, but I kind of knew God was calling me to ministry. So this is about 2017, and at this time, I just recently popped the question to Haley, and she said yes, praise God. And um, so that was for sure. Like, I knew that was happening, um, but we knew, like, we knew that the only thing that was, uh, that, w- that our, our, our future was uncertain about was where we were going to end up when we first got married. We didn't know where because Haley and I were long distance engaged, which I do not recommend anybody do, but we were long distance engaged and she was going to school in Tulsa at ORU and I was living in Dallas. And during her time in Tulsa, we fell in love with Tulsa. Like Tulsa is a pretty cool city. And we made a ton of friends that she was going to school with. And so when we were engaged, we were seriously considering moving to Tulsa. That's actually where we wanted to end up, but the only issue was that I had zero connections in Tulsa. I also didn't know what I was gonna do for a living, so I was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable going to a city where I don't know anybody except your friends, and I don't have any connections, and I'm probably not gonna have a job for a while. So that was something we wanted, but that wasn't for sure. The other option for, for Haley and I was that after she graduated college, she could move back to Dallas. And this was like the more adult, responsible choice that we, we knew we probably should take. And here's why. It's because our whole family was in Dallas, our church that we had been going to for years that was there. Um, and not only that, but I had been working in children's ministry at Gateway for seven years now at this point. And so here's what I was thinking in my head. And this is totally not prideful at all. I hope you hear the sarcasm in, in my tone. This is what I was thinking. I was thinking, man, I've been really faithful in this children's ministry. I've been working here for seven years, and I just found out that there's a new full-time kids pastor position that's going to be opening up, and I don't really want to be a children's pastor, but I know Gateway would pay me pretty well. I know that would be a really responsible thing to do, and it would set us up for like our first year of marriage really well, and also, like, I'm the perfect dude for this job, so they're going to give it to me. Like, I didn't have a pride issue at all. I'm telling you, I didn't have any pride in my heart. Super prideful. This is what I was thinking. And that, that wasn't even what I wanted. It wasn't like my dream job, but it just was, it was like the adult responsible thing to do. So during the first six months of our engagement, um, when we're trying to figure out like, okay, where are we going to end up? What's life going to look like? I am waiting around for Gateway to call me, to give me this position that I thought was rightfully mine. And I'm thinking, man, this is perfect. Like any day now, I'm gonna get a call from Gateway and they're gonna say, hey, Jackson, we wanna give you this full-time position. Here's the pay. I'm gonna be like, yes, okay, here we go. And, um, and it's gonna be great. I'll be working there for six months before Haley and I get married. We'll have six months of full-time income. Like we're gonna be set. But one month goes by, no call. Two months goes by, no call. In fact, what happened was I found out that a guy that I was working with in children's ministry who I honestly didn't think was as good as me, he got the job. They gave him the job. And honestly, I was a little crushed. I was a little upset. I was really jealous. And I felt like that decision was unfair. And here's why. During this time, and this is not good. This is gossip at its finest. So do not do what I did with my friends. But 
me and my buddies who worked at Gateway, we were like, we're starting to notice a trend here. We're starting to notice that all of us young leaders, we're getting promoted, but Gateway's only promoting the leaders who got married. And that was the connection I made. I was like, wait, they only gave this guy the job because he got married a couple months before me, but that job was mine. That should be mine. Now, that was six years ago. Praise God, my heart has changed since then. But here's what I discovered over the last six years, and I'm so thankful I did. What I thought was mine was never actually mine in the first place. And that position that I believed was given to another person unfairly was actually never God's intention and plan for my life in the first place. And I learned an important lesson that year that I think all of us should learn, and that's that God's plans are not my plans. You know that, right? Isaiah 55 says this. I love this. This is God talking to us. He says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the work I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond. Somebody say beyond. beyond. It's beyond the way you think. Now, I couldn't see it then. I couldn't see it six years ago. But at the time, I thought that Gateway Church was being unfair to me because they gave somebody a position that I thought was actually mine, a role that I thought was mine, but it actually wasn't even in line with God's plan for my life. And I have since then, praise God, repented. I've forgiven everybody for thinking that they, they treated me unfairly because at the end of the day, you know, I don't know what their motivation was for giving that person the role that I thought was rightly mine, but it doesn't matter because God had a different plan for my life. And if I had been offered that position, let's just hypothetically say, I had been offered that position and I took it. Well, a couple months later, I would have gotten a call from Pastor Josh who invited me to come here. And you know what I would have said? No. I would have never taken a position where it would have moved me to a different city where I didn't know a single person to do a job that I honestly was terrified of doing. But God closed the door so he could open a different door. Does this make sense? He closed the door so he could open a different door. God had a different, better, and completely fair plan for my life. And this is true, not just for me, but New Song students, this is true for you. You know this, right? God has a plan for your life. It's a perfect plan, but it's also going to be different than the plan you have for your life. And you gotta get ready for that. You gotta get familiar with the fact that God's ways are not our ways. Now, I say all of that really to set the stage for where we're about to go. The Apostle Paul, he begins to open up the curtain in these three chapters to a massive mystery. A massive mystery that has caused so much confusion, so much debate, so many misunderstandings about who God is and his character and his fairness. And that's how his plans come to, come to pass in the earth and how his plans come to pass in your life and in my life individually. And so, my question for you tonight, New Song students, is do you know how God's plans come into pass? Do you know? <laughs> does God make everything happen? Like, does God choose everything that happens, make every decision, every historical event, good and bad? Was that God's will? Did God plan that? Or did God, like, set the earth in motion and then let humans make all the decisions? Do we make all the decisions? Does God bend to what we choose? Or is it neither? Is it a combination of both? This is the can of worms that I want to open up tonight, if you're okay with that. Is that okay? 
Now, before we start diving into the weeds of this topic, I want to just preface with two things. First is this. It's about to get a little teachy up in here, which y'all know I like to get a little teachy, so I'm sorry. But it is. I'm about to give you a lot of information that's not necessarily going to like pump you up and give you like the tingly feelings inside and make you feel like I'm ready to take on Thursday. But I think that topics like this are important because I believe, and I hope you believe this too, that at youth ministry, you shouldn't just get pumped up. But I also think you should be sharpened. And sometimes sharpening is uncomfortable. Sometimes sharpening means I have to learn something that doesn't make sense to me. Does that make sense? So I think, we're, I think it's important that we go there. And by the way, spoiler alert, even like the smartest theologians on the planet have not figured this out yet. So it's okay for you and I here today to say, I'm not sure, okay? Second thing is this. There are some different understandings about this. We're gonna get to them in a little bit. Some of them are false. Some of them are wrong. Some of them are actually up for debate. And I'm going to let you know exactly which ones are not up for debate for you and which ones are up for debate. You can choose. I wouldn't choose some of them, but I'll let you decide. I'm not even going to give you the answer. Sound good? This is big boy church, right? Can we do this? Okay. New song students. Now, we're going to look at three messages, three themes that we see in, this, in these three chapters. I want to list them out to you, and then we'll hit them one by one. Here are the three major themes that come up in these three chapters. The first one is this, Israel. Somebody said Israel. So we're going to talk about Israel. Number two, who is saved? We're going to answer the question, who is saved? Or we're going to look at the question, who is saved? And then the, the last one we're going to close with is faith. This is where Paul is leading us, which is faith. Now, Israel. Let's talk about Israel. Let's unpack this for you. Now, what is Israel? Who is Israel? Why in the world does Israel even matter to us today? We live in America Israel is in a completely different continent on the other side of the planet, and it's an ancient uh, family of people. Why in the world does it matter for us today? Well, these are things that I want to address, and honestly, this right here alone, Israel, this topic of Israel could be an entire message by itself. In fact, it is an entire message, and so I actually brought a tool with you. So there's a QR code on the screen, and if you want, you don't have to, but this is homework for you if you'd like. Scan this QR code. It's a message from um, a pastor named Lee Cummings. He's actually preached here at New Song before. Incredible pastor. Uh, I don't see very many phones going up, just saying. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have to do it. But it's a message from Pastor Lee Cummings on why Israel matters. And I think he does a phenomenal job of laying out. I think he does a phenomenal job of laying out. I can hear his voice coming up all over the, <laughs> the room right now. <laughs> But I think Pastor Lee does a great job of laying the foundation of our faith, which is the, the children of Israel. That's the foundation of our faith. And so I'd encourage you, you don't have to, totally optional, but I think that's a great tool for you to help understand this topic because I can only do a flyby. You know what I mean? So Israel, what are we talking about? Israel in the Bible refers to a nation established by God, and it goes all the way back to a single person named Abraham. Y'all remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's, uh, yeah, yeah, you, okay, we're not going to do the whole thing, yeah. None of the arms, none of the legs, okay. So, Father Abraham, this is, this is when God called Abraham into covenant relationship with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a nation, I think of a 
physical spot on a map. But when the Bible is talking about a nation, especially Israel, it's not talking about a location, it's talking about a family. And not just any family, but the family that God chose to raise up, to be in covenant with, in order to eventually bless all of us today. What makes Israel different than any other nation, any other family on the planet, is that God chose them. Like God specifically chose Israel. He didn't choose any other nation to raise up, but Israel to bless the whole world. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. God chose to bless the whole world through a Jewish family, a Jewish line, a Jewish descent. Now, you've probably heard in the New Testament like words like Jews and Gentiles. You familiar with that? Yeah. I just want to break this down for a second because sometimes, man, nobody broke this down for me in high school, and I just wish somebody did. What is a Jew? Well, it's somebody who is Jewish by blood, but also what's a Gentile? Anybody know what a Gentile is? It's a non-Jew. Anybody who is not Jewish, which is probably every single person in this room. Is anybody thankful that Gentiles got the gospel, right? Praise God. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But there are three kinds of offspring today. There are physical descendants, which are this. This is on the screen if you want to take notes. Physical descendants, biological Jewish people. There are physical and spiritual descendants. These are Jewish people who actually believe the one true God. They believe in Jesus Christ. These are called Messianic Jews. These are Jewish people who have become born-again believers. And then there's all of us, right? The ragamuffins, right? We're the Gentiles. We are, we're, not, we're not physical descendants of God's family. We're not physical and spiritual descendants. We are spiritual descendants, Gentiles, non-Jews, who share a mutual faith in the God of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, now Paul starts off Romans 9 uh, by letting us know that God sovereignly chose Abraham to start this patriarchal family. He started it with them. And this is the first instance in these three chapters where we start to see, some people might see the unfairness of God, or they think it's God being unfair. Because in, in God's plan to redeem the whole world, he doesn't raise up every family. He just raises up one family. He just raises up one person. And Israel is God's covenant family, and God made some special promises just for this family. God said, this family, if they will obey me and trust my commandments, I will raise them up and bless them. God made a promise to the children of Israel. He said, if you obey me, I will bless you. I will raise you up as like a signpost for all the other nations, and you're going to be the one nation representing me. That's a pretty special calling, right? God said, through this family... I'm going to give the entire world the word. You know, the Old Testament is Jewish scripture. What we read, what we believe in is Jewish scripture given to the world through a covenant family. Is this making sense? God said that he was going to raise up Israel to eventually give us Jesus. You know, Jesus was a Jewish man. Jesus is going to come back as a Jewish king. And we got Jesus through the bloodline of Israel. Now, think about this. God chose to do this all through one specific family. And this kind of creates a stumbling block for some people because we live in a world that thinks that, man, everybody should have the exact same opportunities, the exact same uh, outcomes in life, the exact same promises, the exact same benefits. But we're told something much different in Scripture. God didn't choose everybody to bless. He chose one to raise up, to then bless 
the world. And not only that, but God chose one family, and in that one family, there are some people that he chose and some people he didn't choose. Like right here in Romans 9 that we opened up to. Look at this. Let's go back to this. It says, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not born yet and had done nothing good or bad. So God made the decision before he, any of them had themselves to prove in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Both Jacob and Esau are from a covenant family. They're both in the family line of a covenant family, but God chose to use Jacob and not Esau. Not only that, but it says before they were even able to prove themselves, I chose Jacob. Not only that, but God says here, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God, what is going on here? Have you ever read that? Or maybe you're just now reading that and you're like, what? That's confusing. Now, if we're not careful... And I see this trap happen all of the time in the body of Christ today. We can take this one verse and let it build an entire theological belief from one verse rather than letting the whole Bible tell us what's actually true. Does that make sense? I see this sometimes specifically with things like, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of big words tonight. Are you guys hanging in with me? I see this a lot with cessationism. This is a, this is a belief that the gifts of the Spirit stopped after the apostles died out. It's a belief that, that the Holy Spirit isn't poured out on us today like it was in the early church. It's cessationalism means ceased to exist. But in order to believe this, you have to pick like one or two verses and really drill into them. But you have to ignore vast parts of the Bible. Like you have to ignore the fact that God said, I will pour out my spirit on all who will believe. You have to ignore the fact that God used a bunch of random disciples who were not apostles in the book of Acts. Like you have to do a lot of ignoring to believe that one, that one belief. Does that make sense? In the same way, there are some people who will isolate this single verse about God loving Jacob and hating Esau, and they'll build a belief on it that says God loves some people before they're born, and he hates other people before they're born. They'll make a belief on that, and tough luck if you are hated by God because there's just really nothing you can do about it. Seems pretty unfair, right? You can talk back. Does that seem pretty unfair? Okay, well, let's dig into this a little bit. I love what Mark Driscoll says about this confusing passage. He says, the word hate does not bear the same weight as our English translation. Words like colors have hues and ranges. Hate may be interchangeable with rejected, did not accept, did not choose, did not prefer, passed over. God chooses one brother to bring Jesus into the world, but he does not despise the other brother. So that, this is where it gets really interesting. That same word that Paul uses for hate is the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 26 when he tells you and me this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, time out. Is Jesus saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to be the most emo, depressed person on the planet? <laughs> Absolutely not. Jesus is not saying that we are called to hate our family in order to be a disciple. Jesus is using this strong word of hate to paint a picture of priority. I want to say that again because somebody did not get that. He's using a strong word of hate to picture a strong word of priority. Jesus isn't being rude 
and telling us that we need to hate our families. He's actually being honest with us and letting us know that following him and being a disciple is not something that we should do flippantly. He's saying that, hey, if you're gonna make me your Lord and Savior, if you're gonna be a disciple, I want you to know what you're signing up for. You're signing up to make me your priority. Like I'm above everything. Does this make sense? And when we take that passage, because that word, hate, Jesus uses a strong word, and some people might think that he's literally telling us to hate our family. But when you take that passage and then you tie it in with all of Scripture, what do we see? We see that following Jesus doesn't make us hate people more. It actually does the opposite. When you are following Jesus, you are transformed into a person of love like Jesus was. So quite the opposite takes place. Now, I know that was kind of like a random rabbit trail, but I'm going somewhere with this. Follow me. Because of that, now we know that understanding. Let's go back to Jacob and Esau. With that understanding, we know that God wasn't saying he literally loved Jacob and literally hated Esau. What he was saying is Esau was not chosen to bring Jesus into the world. Esau just wasn't the priority in the plan. Does this make sense? He just wasn't the priority. So question, why did God choose Jacob over Esau? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what that answer is. And that's actually a good thing that I think I learned as a 20-something, an early 20-something, and it's a good lesson for you and I to learn, and it's this. God chooses certain people for certain outcomes for certain reasons that we may never know, and that's okay. That was really good, and I'm going to say that one more time because you did not get that. God chooses certain people for certain outcomes for certain reasons that we may never know, and that is okay. And it's actually good for us to start living our lives from this truth and actually believing this because you know what you do when you believe this? You will kill jealousy and envy in your life. Because when you see somebody get through an open door that you thought was yours, guess what? That open door was a closed door for you. Praise God. God didn't choose me for that. That means every open door that you get to go through, praise God. God chose you for that. When somebody gets an open door that you thought rightfully belonged to yours, now you don't have to be jealous and envious of them. You can actually celebrate them because guess what? God chose them and he didn't choose you. And I don't know why, but that's what happened. Praise God. Does that make sense? That one was free. You're welcome. God specifically chose Jacob over Esau. And here's what's amazing about that truth. Both of those sons were far from perfect. Both of them. I love what this one theologian says. He says, a woman once said to Mr. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, ma'am. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Think about that. Because Jacob's name means deceiver. And you know what? Jacob lived a far from perfect life. He had some pretty terrible character until God came into his life, interjected into his life, and changed his name to Israel. You know what Israel means? Israel means God prevails. And I don't know about you, but I think that is just so cool and so prophetic that the nation of Israel is called God prevails. Because you know what? If you look at Israel's uh, track record, they had a pretty bad one. They had a lot of failures, a lot of idol worship, a lot of running from God, and then repenting and coming back to God. And then they go back to doing more failures, and then they repent and come back to God. And then they go back to doing more failures, and they repent and come back to God. And you know what we learn from this broken family? It's in their name. God prevails. 
God prevails. And at the end of the day, New Song students, it's true for us today. God prevails. Like no matter what is happening in this world today, yeah, it might be sketchy sometimes, but guess what? God prevails. I don't care what's going on in culture. At the end of the day, God prevails. When Jesus physically comes back to this earth to rule the nations, guess what? God prevails. Amen. This is the first major theme that we see in Romans 9 through 11. But why does Paul go into this random talk about Israel? When you're reading through Romans, it kind of seems like a random chapter, but it's not. Here's why. He brings up Israel because Israel was God's chosen covenant family. But when Jesus showed up, who was supposed to be their Messiah, most of them rejected him. So John tells us this. In the book of John, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Look at this. He came to his own. Jesus was a Jewish man. He came to his own people, yet they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. So this raises some questions that David Guzik gives us some, some questions. He says, the question goes something like this. How can I be secure in God's love and salvation to me when it seems like Israel was once loved and saved, but now it seems like they're rejected and cursed? Will God also reject me and curse me one day? So this is where we're going to go into the next second theme, which is this. Who is saved? Are y'all hanging in with me tonight? (laughs) I know this is really deep stuff. I had a headache all week writing this. You're welcome. Okay, who is saved? How are we saved? Like, are we saved because God decided? Are we saved because we decided? Are Jewish people automatically saved because they're a part of the covenant family by blood? How does this all work? Well, Romans 9 through 11 is pretty much where you're going to want to go to if you want to get into all of the spicy theological words like predestination, election, God's sovereignty. If you want to debate somebody about this, go right here. You'll find all the words you need. And when, But what I love about this is Paul gives us all these big, scary words that kind of make some people uncomfortable. But I love how he wraps up Romans 11, 33. And I wish more people would, would realize this. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How, what's that word? Unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. I think I said that word wrong. Anyway, how unsearchable. I love this. Paul, he just laid out some really complex stuff in Romans 9 and 10, but he closes with this. Hey, I have a partial revelation of this. At the end of the day, man, God's ways are unsearchable. And one day all of us are gonna end up in heaven and you know what we're gonna really find out? We're gonna discover that most of our beliefs about God, we're probably a little wrong. But you know what else we're gonna believe? You know what else we're gonna discover? And this is so good. We're gonna discover God was right. I was wrong, but God, you are perfect. And everything, that, all the judgments you made were perfect. You are so patient. You are so gracious. You're so merciful. We'll be worshiping him for eternity thinking those thoughts, amen? So right now, what I wanna do is I just wanna lay out to you six popular beliefs about who is saved and like the process of a person coming to know the Lord. And some of these are completely false. And I'll let you know exactly what those are, okay? Three of them are false. 
three of them are technically up for debate. All right? Does this make sense? Yeah. So I'll, I'll lay them out for you. I'll give them all, all of them to you. Um, so feel free to take photos if you want. I wouldn't try to write all this down because there's a lot. It's wordy. But the first one is this. And I'm about to say a word. It's not a cuss word, okay? Don't go home and tell your mom that Pastor Jackson cussed on stage, all right? But this first one is universal damnation, okay? <laughs> I know. Guys, I told you. I warned you. We're going to the deep end. Okay. Universal damnation. No one... Guys, you can't laugh every time I say that word. Seriously, stop. <laughs> okay, this is a belief. I honestly do not know a single person who believes this, but it's a belief. No one chooses God, and God chooses no one. No one is saved. Everyone is damned. That means going to hell. It's not a cuss word. This word, I, I'm, I'm going to just let you know, right? You cannot believe this as a Christian, okay? This is not up for debate, all right? Not up for debate. The second one is this, universalism. It's the opposite. Everyone goes to heaven. No one goes to hell. Though you might have to go to purgatory to suffer for a short time. This one is also not up for debate for you as a believer. As much as I wish it wasn't, the reality is there is a place where God's grace ends and his justice starts. And like all of us will we'll face Jesus one day. All of us are accountable for our life. And Jesus talks about hell almost more than any other topic that he talks about. So like we can't do away with the reality of hell. Universalism is not biblical, all right? Pelagianism. This is, uh, we are not sinners by nature. We have a free will and we are good people who can freely choose God. This one is also not up for debate because it talks about how we have free will. We like free will, a lot of us like that, but we are not born as good people. Bible lets us know very clearly, we are born with a sin nature we're born needing God. So this, these first three are not up for debate. Capiche? Okay, the next three, these are technically up for debate, all right? The first one is this, Arminianism, which is this. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. At some point, God gives everyone a free will opportunity, a moment to choose that allows them to make a decision towards God. So this is the idea that a lot of people believe in, which is that we have free will to choose God. We have free will to choose God. God gives us the grace to choose him. Everybody gets that opportunity. The next two are talking about predestination. Now, I bet half of y'all didn't even know that there was a such thing as double predestination, but there is. We're going there tonight. Double predestination. This is, I'm, I'm not going to read the definition. I'll just give it to you. Double predestination is basically the idea that God both predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. So God chooses to save specific people and God chooses to send specific people to hell. Now, I don't personally believe this one, <laughs> but it is up for debate technically. There are people who will argue this biblically. The last one is this, single predestination, which is this. This is that God chooses people to be saved, and he just passes by everybody else, basically. He chooses to save certain people, but he doesn't send people to hell. He just chooses to save people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, I know we just got super technical there for a second, but I think that having an awareness of this stuff is important for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for you to know this, but I also want you to know that all of these things are man's attempt to try and understand the mind of God. 
man's attempt to try and understand the mind of God. And it is completely okay for you to change your mind on those last three debates. You can change your mind. In fact, one of my favorite pastors, pastor uh, outside of our pastors, obviously, I love our pastors, but one of my favorite pastors to listen to, John Tyson, he's changed his mind about this topic three times in his life. (laughs) He started off believing in free will, then he got converted to predestination, then 10 years ago, he got converted back to free will, and that's where he is right now, and he's just gone back and forth. It's okay to say, I don't know. Okay, New Song students? It's okay for you to say, maybe it's both. When Charles Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile free will versus predestination, he replied, I don't even try. I never reconcile friends. Here's what he means by that. When you look at scripture, there's definitely both of these things taking place in scripture. You see both. Think about this. With Moses, Moses prayed a prayer that saved the children of Israel. God wanted to wipe out the children of Israel because of their disobedience. And because of Moses' free will choice to pray, God changes his mind to wipe them out. But then you have other stories where the children of Israel are disobeying and God raises up other nations to take them over. That kind of seems like predestination. What I want you to know is that at the end of the day, predestination or not, free will or not, let's go back to Israel's name. Guess what? God will prevail. And God will choose. People will choose. Some people will choose wrongly. Some people will choose rightly. God will determine some people's lives. But at the end of the day, here's what we know. God's a good God. God's a perfect God. God is merciful. And what's more important is that no matter where we sit on this spectrum of free will versus predestination, none of us need to forget the fact that God desperately loves all people. And 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Somebody say you. He's patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to reach repentance. So here's what I want you to know. God loves people. God chooses people. God waits patiently that none should perish. But that's all God's job. And sometimes we as believers, we get ourselves in what Pastor Greg Laurie calls, we get wrapped up in theological pretzels (laughs) where we're trying to figure out who God is and we want to understand all of this so bad that we forget that it is not our job to know some of this stuff. Our job is not to know who God judges and who God chooses and our, our job is to preach the gospel. I love what, what, I love what famous evangelist D.L. Moody, he says this. He says, Lord, save the elect and then, and then elect some more. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of like that. Lord, save the chosen and then choose some more, God. And I think that should be our heart, New Song students. Our job is not to fully understand the God we serve. Our job is to tell people about the God that we serve. Our job is to tell people about Jesus. It's to preach the gospel. It's not to fully understand who God is, his ins and his outs. And our job is to have a heart that breaks for people who have not yet been chosen by God. And we actually see Paul's heart. He has this heart towards his Jewish brothers and sisters in Romans 9 verses 1. Look at this. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why is Paul all sad and bent up? 
For I wish, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Uh, the band, you guys can start getting ready to come up. Here's what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, I wish that I could trade places with you so that you could know Jesus. His heart broke so badly that his Jewish brothers and sisters rejected Jesus that he was like, I wish I could go to hell so you could go to heaven. Can you imagine having that kind of heart for people that are lost? That kind of heart that breaks when you see lost people who have not yet chosen God and have not been chosen by God yet. Charles Spurgeon says this. I love this. This is something that we all should, should, should have in our heart. You will be delivered from petty worries if you are concerned about the souls of men. Get your soul full of great grief, and little griefs will not be driven out. Like, you're going to care a lot less about the, like, pants that you didn't get that you wanted or, like, the team you didn't make because you wanted to be on it. You're going to care a lot less about that when you care more about hearts and souls and people. Amen? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, all of this stuff is really complicated, and God is unsearchable at the end of the day. But I want people to know God. And this leads us to our final theme tonight, which is this, personal faith. Somebody say personal faith. Personal faith. This is where all of this leads to. Romans 9 tends to give people a massive headache. <laughs> it gave me a massive headache this week reading it and studying it. And here's why. We get so caught up in trying to figure out who God is. But I love how Paul ends these three chapters bringing it all back to a simple invitation, a personal invitation for you to personally trust in God. And here's why this is important for us. As a whole, Israel, do you remember Israel? We talked about them in the beginning of the message, God's chosen family. As a whole, their hearts had started to become hardened to Jesus because they believed that they were saved because of blood. Not Jesus's blood, but their blood. They believed, I'm collectively saved because I have a collective faith with my family. I'm chosen by God as a family and so I'm saved. But, but Paul takes it to a personal level for all of us, the Jews and Gentiles, every single person. He says, everybody has to confess Jesus. I love what Mark Driscoll says. He says, the line into the kingdom is single file. And this is our vision at New Song Students, that you would own your faith. Not that you would ride the coattails of your parents' faith and, oh, I'm Christian because my parents are Christian. No, 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 no. The line into the kingdom is single file. You have to choose Jesus. You have to give him that decision. And we see this in Romans 10. I'm wrapping up right now. Romans 10, verse 10, he says, for with the heart, one, somebody say one, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For scripture says, whoever, I love that word right there, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all, or over all, is rich to all who call upon his name. For whoever, somebody say whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So yes, praise God. So students, I sh let's bring it down to a individual level tonight. I've got four responses for us. The first is this. Going back to Israel, being chosen, and trusting God's plan for, for them. 
trusting God's perfect plan for your life. Where are you with that? Where are you with that? Have you found yourself questioning, and does God have a plan for me? Is his plan for my life as good as that person's life? Maybe you've been finding yourself envious and jealous of a person's open doors because you thought they were yours. Where are you tonight with your trusting and God's perfectly capable, he's, he's perfectly capable of handling your life. Where are you with that tonight? And the second is tied to that. I believe that some of you here tonight are, are gonna be invited to release some jealousy and some envy and to put that right here at the altar, to pray with the leader and to say, you know what? I have been jealous of other people's callings and I have not been asking the Lord to just reveal his calling that he's chosen for me. The third is this, trusting God. This one's pretty simple, but maybe you've been trying to figure out God because you don't trust him. You don't think he's fair, but you need to repent and just come down to the altar and say, God, you're a far better God than me. And your word says that you're merciful and you're good and you're patient. And I've, I repent for thinking that you're unfair to anybody because you're good and you're loving. And the last one is this, maybe you just need to like take a personal step of faith. Like you've been, you've been riding the coattails of your parents' faith. You've been riding the coattails of New Song students. And you've never made a personal declaration. You've never personally confessed with your mouth and with your heart that Jesus is your priority. He's your main thing. He's the Lord and Savior of your life. Those are the four responses tonight. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes.